Good morning, everyone. A happy Mother's Day uh, to all of our mothers. So one, I've gotten in the bad habit of kind of two sermons at Mass, and today's no different. Um, but this is a, I just, really briefly, basically what happens is there, if there's something really important in the readings that I'm not going to preach about, I just want to touch on it briefly. Today in our gospel, we have John chapter 14. And this is a great memorization verse, John 14, 6. Uh, it's so easy to memorize scripture. You just have to pick one verse and just repeat it. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. I just want to briefly mention how important this is. We live in an age of syncretism. Syncretism is a fancy philosophical world that means all religions are the same. Right? You know all the analogies out there that people use? One of them is the mountain and the different religions are all different pathways on the one mountain to the top. The other one I was like is people say, well, human beings are like blind people, and they're in a dark room, and they, there's an elephant in the room. And one person says, well, I feel like this, this trunk, and so it must be a snake. And one person's at the other end, and they feel this huge leg, and they say, it's a tree. And, and really, they're feeling the same thing, but they're, they're all blind. That's, that's a bunch of bull, right? Why? Here's the thing. We live in an age, brothers and sisters, where people no longer believe in truth. And Christianity makes a truth claim. It's a truth you can't see unless you take a chance and you begin to walk. You have to open your heart. But some Christians, right, some Christians are too intellectual, kind of like me, and I, we live a little bit too much in our heads. But a lot of Christians just live totally in the heart and it's all feelings. Christianity makes a truth claim. It claims to be the truth. We have his history. We have archaeology. We claim that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and this is a fact of history. That just matters. It doesn't mean that non-Christians are all in H-E double hockey sticks. It doesn't mean you're better than other people. It means there is truth, and that's good news. And you and I have to learn that. We have to be able to talk about that. One of my favorite phrases, you know, out there is that truth, or I'm sorry, love, if it does not have truth, becomes sentimentality. Right? Love without truth is sentimentality. It's a caricature. It's, not, it's no longer love. If you love people, but there's no truth behind it, it's no longer love. Love always has a truth. And so Jesus say, tells us that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All religions are not the same. One last quote. G.K. Chesterton says, he said, medieval man, when, if we lived in the Middle Ages, uh, people in the Middle Ages were certain about the truth, but they were uncertain about themselves. But modern men and women are uncertain of the truth but they're certain about themselves. And I want you to think about it. Isn't that, I think that's so true. Men and women today are like, 
uh, who no one can say what's true and what's not, but I know what I want, and I'm just going to live my life, and I'm going to, you know, go that direction. Okay, anyway, end of sermon number one. You ready for number two? Well, whether you're ready or not, you're getting it. So when I, when I was ordained a deacon, right, you're, when you become a priest, your last year of seminary, you're a deacon, you're ordained a deacon. And when you are ordained a deacon, that's when you make your promise of celibacy and to give your life to the church for the rest of your life. And then you have one last year, and then at the end of that year, you're ordained a priest. So in between those two ordinations, when I was a deacon, the seminary brought in some of the priests who had been priests a long time to come talk to us and kind of say, hey, here's what priesthood's really like, and here's how it's going to be. And one of those priests, I remember, he came in and he said, you know, I know all you guys have these really high, lofty ideas, and, and you're very spiritual and, and all these things. And he said, and that's beautiful and everything, but let me tell you what priesthood really is. You're going to be an administrator. He's like, that's just the reality. This is what's going to happen in your life. You're going to become a priest, and you're going to sign checks, and you're going to hire people and fire people, and you're going to balance budgets, and you're going to raise money, and you're going to deal with HR and personnel and, and all these things. And I was like, could you not have come last year, right, before I made my promise of celibacy? Thanks a lot, Padre. <laughs> Great. <laughs> And he was trying to be realistic with us, and he was really trying to do something kind, but he's wrong. I have to do all those things, and I do. I do all, all of those different things he mentioned. That's part of my life. But that's not what priesthood is. And I will spend the rest of my life fighting for what it really means to be a priest. Because priesthood isn't about any one task. Priesthood is about who you are. It's, it's ultimately about that. Right? That's what priesthood is. And today, that's what I want to talk about. We have, um, we have a number of things happening today. I was like, it was so hard to write a sermon today uh, because yesterday we began, yesterday was the anniversary, the 100-year anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima when the visions began in 1917. Uh, we also had eight men were ordained to the priesthood yesterday. Today's Mother's Day, and all of our readings are like amazing, and I'm like, I quit. <laughs> then go be an administrator. <laughs> but I want to talk just briefly about um, Fatima here. And here's what I want to, what we're going to get at today, brothers and sisters, is I want you to think about the inner core of what it means to be a Christian. Just like priesthood has all those things that I have to do, but that's not what priesthood is. So too with our faith. There are demands of our faith, there are laws, but there's a core. There's a heart. So in 1917, World War I is ending. And it's devastating. And don't you just love how God works? If I were God and I'm like horrible things are happening all across the world, I would just like, you know, flex my muscles and blow up all the bad people or something. What does God do? 
And by the way, this is the same time communism starts, same month as the Bolshevik Revolution was the height of the Fatima visions in Portugal. But at the same time, right, God, God turns the world upside down. He doesn't work the way we work. And so as Russia in October is being turned upside down in 1917, the Fatima visions are ending. And how does God fix that problem? How does he respond to World War I? He sends his mother to three poor shepherds. Three nobodies who are children in the middle of nowhere, Portugal. He sends his mother to, to appear to them. And that changed the world. That's how God works. But I want to focus on one thing that Our Lady said to those children. Mary talked about the world becoming godless. And she said, and there's, there's this vision that the, the three children had and they, they, it was this call for repentance on the part of the world. Because the world, and isn't the world godless? We are becoming more and more secular. There is nothing sacred. People mock everything. We kill children in the womb. And we live our lives as if all that mattered were power, sex, and money. And in this vision, there's an angel that cries out in heaven and just says, penance, penance, penance. Powerful stuff. That was 100 years ago. And if you don't know much about Fatima, I encourage you to look into it. It's very powerful. Uh, Our Lady calls us to pray the rosary and to do penance for the salvation of the world. That's what our readings are about today. And here's that inner core, right? As a priest, I need to do administration out of love for you. Because if I don't do it, this church will fall apart. But the core of my life, the core of what it means to be a priest, is to live from the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the core. And today in our second reading is where I want to zero in on. Our first reading was the first time the church chooses deacons. And poor Marjorie had to read that. There's seven Greek names, and it's the first seven deacons of the church. But our second reading says this. It says, come to him, to Jesus, that living stone rejected by men, right? Christ was rejected. And there's, the word stone has so much theology behind it, but we'll be here till next Sunday, rejected by men, but in God's sight, chosen and precious, and like living stones yourselves, be built into a spiritual house. What's that mean? What is a spiritual house? It's a temple. In the Old Testament, whenever they talk about God's house, that's the temple. And so Jesus, you see, Jesus is a builder. That's what he does. And he's building a church. He's building a temple. But that temple, brothers and sisters, is us. I always laugh. Every, Christians tend to know that, right? Have you ever heard it said that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? This means yes. This means no. 
And people make all kinds of jokes about that, right? Like health nuts are like, that's why I eat so healthy, because my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's like, come on, right? And then my smoker friend's like, I'm just incensing the temple. I'm like, that's pretty blasphemous. You know, you want to justify your habit, whatever, <laughs> you know? Today in 1 Peter chapter 2, in 1 Corinthians 3 as well, Paul says that the te- that temple isn't just you individually, it's us together. That each of us are like stones, and we are, and, wh- and the whole point, and we'll get back to this passage, is that the temple is the place where God is worshipped, and where he dwells. So Peter goes on, he says, like living stones be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are priests. I don't know if you know that. St. Peter goes on to quote Exodus 19.6 later in this passage. Uh, he says, we heard it today, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. That's what God said to Israel when they arrived at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. That's us. You are a priestly people. And what do priests do? Priests do two things. The first thing a priest does is a priest is a bridge. Because people in our world feel far from God. And the first job of a priest is to be a bridge between God and human beings. And I hope that I can be that for you, brothers and sisters. And you say, you know, I don't know that I feel close to God, but I can relate to Father Brian. And he's a priest. So maybe I can be close to God. My job is to be that for you. Your job is is to be that bridge for people in your life. People who say, there isn't really anything sacred, but they meet you and they say, maybe there is. People who say, I can't live a moral life, it's too hard, but my friend who goes to Our Lady of Lourdes does, so maybe it's possible. Well, I couldn't be loved, God could never forgive my sins, but my friend who loves God is so merciful. Maybe God's merciful. You're priests. The second thing, though, that St. Peter tells us today, the second thing a priest does is a priest offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Do you do that? (laughs) This letter today, the first letter of Peter, is not addressed just to priests. It's ordained, it's written to all Christians. Do you offer sacrifice? What sacrifice do I mean? It's like hip these days. I always, a lot of Catholics, a lot of my friends actually are like have chickens now. And they're like, all right, let's, get, let's go to the backyard, kids. Time to exercise your priestly ministry. No. What does it mean? And here I just want to, backtrack for one minute and hang with me. This is a little bit of theology, but it's so beautiful. I want you to go with me. There's a, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, he uses this powerful imagery. 
I just want to read you this passage, and I'm going to explain it. St. Paul says, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph. What does that mean? Let's pause there. The word triumph that Paul uses there in Greek, triambeuin, this is so cool. It's one of my favorite, like, kind of very deep passages in the New Testament. That word is a very technical word. And it, it was invented for a Roman triumphal parade. And what it was, was that when a Roman general won a battle, he came back to Rome and there was a parade for the general. And what he did was the strongest soldiers of the enemy that he had captured, he led them in chains through the streets of Rome in triumph. And Paul so powerfully turns this image in a way you never would have guessed. Most people read this passage and they're like, yeah, God leads us in triumph. I'm going to kick tail, right? No more problems. No one's going to fight against me. Paul says that we are the enemies who are captured by Christ and we're being led in his triumph. Think about that. We were the enemies of Christ and his victory was the cross. This is Paul's whole point here. His victory was the cross. And because of his love for us and the fact that he captured us through his love, we are now his prisoners. And Paul says he leads us in triumph and through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ. Now, I know this is a lot, but just hang with me. We're the aroma. Paul is using sacrifice here. You know, when you come to 11 a.m. Mass, one of my favorite things about this Mass is that we get to do incense. I would do it every Mass, but I want to leave place for people who feel allergic to the smoke. Um, but I love the incense. Isn't that so powerful? The, the uh, incense going up to heaven. It's an image of our prayers. Paul says that you and I, think about this, as Christians, you and I are that incense. But the only way that happens is if you've been sacrificed. In the ancient world, the way you see smoke going up is when, you've been, when an animal has been sacrificed and there's fire, there's something being burned. So Paul says, and brothers and sisters, this is it. Our lives become the worship of God. Listen again to St. Peter. like living stones, be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Is your life a burnt offering? What does a priest do? A priest offers sacrifice. A priest offers up their life that others may find God. That's when a church is alive. A church doesn't thrive because it has, it helps when you have good preaching and great music. 
A church is alive when the people in a church love God just like Jesus did, and they offer their lives for others. You are a priestly people. You have a sacrifice to offer. When you come to Mass, the other thing we say, right? We'll say it today. The priest says to you, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours, right? You offer the Mass with me. We offer Jesus and his sufferings on the cross to the Father. But what's supposed to happen is that doesn't just happen in Mass. It happens in your life. As you go through life, you say, Lord, this is tough. I'm struggling, but I live my life for you. My life becomes liturgy, and you know what that does? It makes the world sacred. When Christians live good lives, when we live as priests, the world becomes a sacred place. It's a place where God lives and where men and women know he's real. So yesterday, eight men were ordained to the priesthood. If they are good priests, they will live from that. Their life will become an offering, and they will offer their sufferings, their joys, their sorrows. Everything they have will be given to God. But that's you too. If you want to be a real Christian, brothers and sisters, the Mass doesn't stop here. It's lived in your life. And when people see that, they come to God. So we pray for Our Lady of Fatima to intercede for us. Right, that you and I are on a mission, that we have a purpose in life, that we live and act as priests in the world, that the world might know that there are things that are sacred, that God is real, and that Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead.